Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Cedar Rail Stories podcast. I'm Mark Weinstein, and having the past three programs been amazing. We opened the new year with Colonel Greg Thompson and then followed that up with Grace and Tim Norman. And then last week, talking with 2015 Miss Michigan, Sierra Bognier. I've heard a lot of comments about these programs, so I'm thankful you are finding them to be encouraging and enjoyable. Today's program should be as well as I'm talking with Fred Greetham, a member of Cedarville's Athletic Hall of Fame and the senior analyst with the Cleveland Browns. Fred graduated from Cedarville University in 1979 with a degree in education. He has worked in financial services for the past 30 years, but before that, he was a school teacher and basketball coach at Elyria Christian High School and Scottsdale Christian High School in Arizona. So let's go to my conversation today with Fred Greetham on this week's Cedarville Stories podcast. Fred, I look forward to talking with you about your work covering the Cleveland Browns. I, I love the NFL. Uh, Browns are okay. But I want to start our <laughs> conversation with your time at Cedarville University. And you'll understand why I said the Browns are okay later on, probably. How did the Lord direct you to Cedarville as a college student? You know, I, I think he used baseball. I was really wanted to play college baseball, and I had an offer from Ashland University. And Cedarville, at that time, Norris Smith was the coach, and he showed some interest in me because he actually was the coach at Amherst, which was one of our fellow conference rivals, and he had accepted the job to go be the Cedarville coach, would have been my freshman year. Well, then I didn't know it, but he ended up not going there at the time, but the Lord used that to kind of influence me to end up there. I went down there, and I just felt at home, and I saw an opportunity to be able to further my baseball career down there. And we're going to talk about baseball a little bit, but before we get there, when you think back to your four years at Cedarville, how would you say Cedarville impacted you personally, spiritually, and professionally? Yeah, all the way around. I mean, it was lifetime relationships with friends and and acquaintances and and I uh, met my wife there. I mean, we had met before, but that's really where we ended up dating and, and um, getting engaged and then a lifelong relationship. I came out of there with an education degree in physical education. I think I had four or five majors for said and done. I actually started out as a broadcasting or speech major. I wanted to do play-by-play and, and get into sports. And I was, Jim Phipps was the play-by-play uh, guy, and he was also my um, guidance counselor at the time. And I got hired as the third guy, and I was able to do games as a freshman. And so I actually changed my major because I just wanted to do that. I didn't want to do all the spinning the dials and all that kind of stuff. But that kind of influenced me because for the last 30 years, I've been able to use a little of the broadcasting background in yeah. my work on the radio and podcasts you know, with the with the Browns and covering the NFL. And so that influenced it there. As far as coaching, you know, I learned a lot when I was there playing baseball and, and it helped me in my coaching career. After I first got out of school, I coached high school basketball and high school baseball and football. And uh, so I enjoyed the coaching side of things. So that influenced me as well. Love of sports to be able to to use, you know, my, my talents, my gifts in something I enjoyed doing. And so I would say Cedarville had a lot of influence, you know, to this day. 
Our family, our three kids all went to Cedarville, right. all played sports there. It's been a legacy. We have all, my wife's side of the family has a lot of history with Cedarville. And, and so it was very impactful in our lives. And we've stayed very involved as best we can in the college and the universities. It's grown over the years. Yeah, and you mentioned uh, your, your wife's family. So for those who are listening, Fred's wife, Joyce, is the granddaughter of Earl Willits, who Willits Hall is named after. And then obviously, uh, Joyce's brother is a board of trustee member currently. So there's a lot of connection with that. But you, you noted you're able to use your gifts and abilities. And probably academically you did. But baseball-wise, you excelled so much that you ultimately became a Hall of Fame member. In baseball, you have a career 407 batting average, which is amazing. And you stole 86 bases in 90 attempts. I don't know who those four guys who who picked you off or who caught you stealing. But beside that, with those two records that still hold today as the top spot, is one more meaningful than the other? I think the career batting average, I mean, most of the other things are going to go by the wayside because they're playing 60, 70, 80 games nowadays. Right. And uh, we played maybe 30 because, you know, we didn't start till maybe late March, April. And, you know, the weather's pretty bad you know, at that time of the year. But, you know, as far as a lot of a lot of things just come and go, but to just see that stand up has been big. And the stone base, you're right. I mean, there's been a couple guys, you know, right on the cusp in the last few years. And I won't lie, I keep my eye on it. <laughs> you know, I'm proud of the career batting average because, you know, to go four years and, and have, I think I'm the only one with a career over 400. You know, I look back and sometimes I wonder how I did that, especially when my freshman year I hit 314. So that drug it down. I think the last three years it was over 430 all three years. So the consistency to be able to game in, game out, come through for the team. Speak to the difficulty of hitting four, over 400 as a career. Because I think, you know, when I look at Major League Baseball, Ted Williams is the only guy who's ever hit it. 400 or higher in one season. That was 406 in 1941. You did it for four years. How difficult was that? Well, it was because when you think about it, you get maybe four at bats, maybe five a game. So it's a little daunting thinking I got to get two hits every game to stay at 400. You know, I did start out, I think, batting second, maybe first as a freshman, but then they moved me to the three hitter. Oh, okay. You know, at the time when I left, I led the team and had records in RBIs, almost all the records. But like I said, the longevity when you're paying 60, 70 games nowadays, it doesn't take, you know, a guy to have a great season to eclipse that run scored, those things. But my mindset was a little old school. I wasn't the biggest guy. I relied on my speed. And if I wasn't hitting the ball well, you know, I would lay down a bunt and get a hit, you know, that way if I saw third baseman back or first baseman, you know, back. And and so I just did what I had to do to scratch and claw to get on base. And it's one of those things I wouldn't want to try to go back and do. And I do think the the length of the schedule does work in my favor because I look at that and it was a grind to do it for 30 games. I don't know how you do it for 60 games, you know, or what they do now. but I do. I am proud of that. Grateful the Lord gave me the opportunity. And sometimes I wonder how I did do that. I do I do credit a lot Dan Combs. He was a senior when I was a freshman. He's alumni. He's been a longtime coach down in Florida. After my freshman year, 
I was just kind of a dink and dunk hitter my whole career. He taught me just a couple little things that I never knew about technical things with my grip and my stance. And I hit the ball harder than I ever hit the last three years. That's why my average went up. I hit seven home runs in the last three years. I never hit a home run and even in high school. And so I gave him a lot of credit because he, after he graduated, he stayed along and he coached my sophomore year along with Tom Hopewell and Bruce McDonald. You know, it was just kind of a transformation. And and so I really enjoyed that and, you know, look back on those times with fond memories. Yeah. When I think of baseball, you know, a, a winning baseball team needs all kinds of players, all kinds of hitters, even those punch and Judy hitters who just get the, you know, the, the singles, they're, they're important to keep the, uh, the inning alive. Let's pivot over to uh, football right now and, and talk about your work with the Browns. In addition to working for the Orange and Brown, you also are an analyst and have a weekly uh, sessions on WTAM radio in Cleveland, the flagship station of the Cleveland Browns. Can you share with us what you actually do in these roles and, and how did you secure these roles? It's pretty impressive. Yeah, well, I'll kind of take it back to the beginning. After I graduated from Cedarville, I was coaching high school basketball at a Christian school in O'Leary, Ohio. Right. And I wanted to get a master's because at the time, Cedarville had three, four coaches in my four years when I was playing baseball. And it was kind of like a one and done. And I really wanted to go back to Cedarville and be the baseball coach. If my playing career was over, I still was, I had tryouts with about 24 major league teams. I never officially signed with any team and I just moved on with my life. But after a couple of years of coaching high school, I went back to school to get my master's and Kent State's about a hour from where I'm at. And they had a sports administration program. So I took a year off from school. My wife was pregnant with our first son and I drove back and forth every day to get my degree. Well, at the end of my classes, I had one class and there was six people in the class, four ladies and me and another fella. The other guy was happened to be the director of operations for the Cleveland Browns. And we got to know each other. He said, hey, Fred, I know to get your degree in sports administration, you have to do an internship. And why do I do the hiring for those? Why don't you come and do your internship with me? We'll pay you and so forth. Well, that was 1981. The Browns were just coming off the Red Right 88 game, the heartbreak game with Brian in the playoffs to the Raiders. And so I accepted that internship and spent the next summer at Kent State is where they trained as an intern. At the end of the training camp, um, it was a one and done, you know, don't, we've never hired anybody. Well, they actually started a publication called Browns News Illustrated. And I was hired to be a writer for that. And so I stayed on, even though I wanted to go back to Cedarville or to be a college baseball coach, people would give their right arm to do what I was doing. I never really had any formal training in writing, although Cedars was the school newspaper when I was there. I don't know if it's still called that, but I was the sports editor of that. And I did write, even though I never had any formal training in journalism. I was hired by the Browns to do that, and I ended up being the editor of that Browns News Illustrated. I moved to Arizona because I got a coaching offer in Phoenix, baseball and basketball. We were out there eight or nine years, but then I had the chance to come back to Ohio, 
since then I had got out of coaching and I was in the financial service business. We had little kids and they needed to make a little money. Yeah. But I came back in 89 to be the editor of Browns News Illustrated. And then the Browns moved to Baltimore and there was a three-year lag. But when the team came back in 99, the internet had come upon us and I was hired by the Cleveland Browns team to be their writer for ClevelandBrowns.com. So I did that for the first three years. And then one of my relationships over the years with former players, Bernie Kozar, who was the quarterback when I was first covering him, was a friend of mine. He started Bernie's Insiders, which was publication about the Browns. He then sold it and it became Orange and Brown Report, which I'm still with. I've been with them about 20 years. It's online at theobr.com. In the last eight, nine years, I've been an analyst um, on WTAM, as you said. I'm their beat reporter, analyst. I'm on the pregame show. I'm on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. I have a regular spot on there. It's something that I've enjoyed doing, but I really, I really, it all traces back to that opportunity to be an intern because I got to know the the people, the Lord guided that I met the right people and I had a chance to get involved there. So I got kind of off track of wanting to be a, a coach. I, I went and tried that a bit and I enjoyed it, but I ended up pretty much doing this with the Browns and the NFL. One of the reasons I stay with it, because I keep thinking someday they're going to be good. And I know <laughs> it was in the 80s, and they didn't even win anything in the 80s. Yeah, I did an offshoot to that. The four years the Cavaliers were in the NBA Finals, I actually covered the team every day. And so I actually was able to see an NBA championship with LeBron James. So, you know, I've been blessed. I've enjoyed that. It's something that everybody wants to talk about. I feel like it's given me an opportunity to make a lot of good connections. Christian players I met over the years and had great relationships. And that's kind of in a nutshell, the whole story. What do you enjoy the most about all this work with uh, with the Browns in professional football? I'm kind of old school. What I used to enjoy the most was relationships. It wasn't so media eccentric where you really didn't have access to the players as much. And I got to know the guys one-on-one. -on -one. You could go up to anybody in the locker room. I used to have a lot of players come over to my house. I live out in the country. I like to hunt. A few guys would like to hunt, and they would like to come over and do things like that. And so I got to know them real well, and they would come and speak at my kids' school. Well, now everything's, you know, the agents are involved, and you gotta you can't really do things like that without them getting paid and everything has become that type of a situation. So I miss some of those things. The biggest thing I enjoy is going to the games and feeling a little bit like I have a little part in it, just covering it and writing about it and explaining to fans, you know, what happened, maybe the behind the scenes, why something happened that they don't understand when they're throwing things at the TV. Why did they do that? I've kind of lost a little bit of being the fan in me because I kind of know that it is a business and a lot of these players are mercenaries going team to team to the highest bidder. They're not all like that, but it's still the relationships I think I, I cherish, you know, whether it's colleagues in media or the players or coaches. You and I both know that only two of the original NFL teams, the Cleveland Browns and the Detroit Lions, are the only teams to never 
play in a Super Bowl? What's it going to take for Cleveland to make it to the Super Bowl and maybe win? Well, I think it'd be the greatest if it'd be the Lions and the Browns, you know, in the Super Bowl because, like you said, neither have been there. And what's ironic, before the Super Bowl, before our time, every year it was the Browns and the Lions playing for the NFL championship. And now they're the also-rans. But the Browns started this year at Greenbrier Resort in West Virginia to try to get some chemistry. And it really has worked. This team is closer from what I can tell in the locker room, than any team that that I've been around. And the unfortunate thing is, on the offensive side, they were expecting to be explosive. They lost, in my opinion, the best running back in the NFL, Nick Chubb, after five quarters. Right. And then their Pro Bowl right tackle, and of course now their quarterback and their left tackle. So they are just kind of limping along on a defense I don't know what you thought of Jim Schwartz, but I thought it was the best hire the Browns in all their moves in the offseason. I recommended go get Jim Schwartz because the defense they had in the last two or three games was or years was soft, and the offense might do well, but the defense could never get off the field when they needed to, and it's just been the opposite this year. Jim Schwartz has just turned that defense around right now they're ranked number one in the NFL so they got a championship level defense and their special teams is one or two so those were the two coordinators they brought in so they've done everything on that side just the offense which is killing them and now you're down you know your third quarterback a rookie they can do it with defense and that but I just really don't think they're going to make the playoffs I'm pretty confident of that but I don't know if you have what you need to win the Super Bowl. You really need to have a Deshaun Watson playing at a Pro Bowl level. We've seen that over the years. Very rarely does the team do it like the Eagles did when they lost their quarterback and Nick Foles came in and they won the Super Bowl. And you'd have that with way back when the Ravens won with Trent Dilfer and they were just managing the offense and letting the defense do it. So that would be the recipe this year is whether it's Joe Flacco coming in or the rookie they have now, if they can not lose the game. You can get to the playoffs that way, but I don't think you can win the Super Bowl until you get above average or elite play at the quarterback. Right, right. I'm curious, uh, going in a different direction, how does your faith in Jesus impact what you do and and how can you weave that in with your relationships with, with the players and the people you work with? Well, I look at it as trying to be a salt and be the light. As you know, media in general is very liberal, very negative, and it's no different in the sports media. If if I share with you the comments and the talk, it just, it's like our world, you know, it's upside down. What's up is down, what's down's up. And it's kind of the same way, you know, everywhere I'm at, and there's very few of us that know the Lord. There's a Athletes in Action chaplain who's close with me and he works with the players and I get encouraged with him, but nobody really asked me my faith a whole lot. And if you get into anything political, it's gets shot down very quick. So I just try to show by example, I act a little different than others. And and the Lord has used that in my baseball career, not playing when I was out of Cedarville. It's like, man, you don't drink it. What are you going to do after the game? And they start bringing Pepsi if I ask, I share the gospel and share the light. And so, you know, always praying for those opportunities. And 
when I hear that a guy's a Christian, you know, I'll encourage them and and get into uh, conversations and play here wise coaches. And I just feel that my job's to sow seed. And, you know, the Lord will um, bring that to pass if that's his will. That's encouraging because we know our world needs Jesus. Uh, the professional football world definitely needs Jesus because it, it's a very, it can be a very um, self-centered uh, environment and industry. And so I, I applaud you for, for what you're doing. Let's shift gears a little bit as we move toward the end of the program. I, I learned uh, you had a cancer diagnosis that was pretty serious. Tell us about that cancer diagnosis and, and how the Lord brought you out of that. You know, I'll kind of share my daughter. Carrie was a freshman at Cedar, outstanding athlete, probably the best of the family. She was playing on that championship team as a freshman, one of their really strong players. And after the season, she wasn't feeling well. Make a long story short, she was diagnosed with acute lymphoblastic leukemia. And we went from, you know, the top of the world to she had a 30% chance to, to live, according to the doctor. She was in the Cleveland Clinic. The Cedarville Nation went above and beyond the call of duty. We were reached. We could hear the prayers from all over the world. She was in the hospital 150 days, Cleveland Clinic, had a transplant, stem cell transplant. And for a while, it didn't look like anything was going to work. But by the grace of God, you know, she's came out of it. She's doing great. She actually made it back to Cedarville and graduated. Got back on the volleyball court, which they said she'd never do. Soon as she was given the okay to go back to Cedarville, I had a, a bump on my cheek. And I had played a lot of baseball without sunscreen, without hat. And as a kid and at Cedarville and in Arizona, I coached P.E., I was outside all day. And so I was getting checked all the time for skin cancer. And basically, I had a spot, a squamous cell skin cancer. And the doctor said he got it all. And I kept getting checked. And long story short, he didn't catch it. And it, it grew from the inside. Mm. And by the time they opened it up, it was all the way to the bone. And I, they had to perform an eight to 10 hour surgery to take out my saliva gland and basically half my face. They had to take it all out. I had to go through radiation and reconstruction. This was supposed to be a 15 minute, just take it off. I woke up eight, 10 hours later and didn't have a lot of time to think about it. Some of my nerves got cut. So I, I lost a little bit of uh, movement in my one side of the face and that. But as far as I felt like, suck it up, Fred, you know, you went through this thing, your daughter, you know, went through legitimately, you know, the worst circumstance you could think of. I'm doing great. I mean, I, I really never really worried about it. I was the Lord's in control. And, you know, at the time it was very serious. I didn't realize how serious, but I did have to have a lot of treatment afterward, but I'm doing great now. Lord willing, you know, we're still around. Through her experience, I really you know, leaned on the Lord probably more than I did on mine because as a dad, you know, I, I did everything I could to take care of things, especially for my daughters. And with that case, I realized there is nothing you can do. When she's laying there and the doctor says it's 50-50 whether she'll make it through the night, there really is nothing you can do but pray and read. And I I was in Philippians 4, 6. I must have said to myself over and over 50 times or more a day, you know, be anxious for nothing and all. And, 
second. Because it was just that helpless feeling, you know, and when you look at that, I would never wish my situation or my daughter's situation on anybody else. I really wouldn't, but I wouldn't trade it for the world, Mark. I'll tell you, because I look back on those days and I was never more reliant and closer to the Lord. You know, I think back and I'm like, I I don't want to have that again, but wow, that totally put me, you know, with the Browns, all these things, they're not that big of a deal. It doesn't change things if the Browns win the Super Bowl or the Browns lose a game on Sunday or whoever. It really doesn't matter. What's the big picture and what's really most important in life is, you know, your relationship with Christ and and your family and things that he's given to us. Yeah, I, I've found, and I, I know you would say the same thing, that in our darkest moments, in our trials, our difficulties, pursuing the Lord provides that peace that passes all understanding. It's also an opportunity for our faith to grow, right? And I assume that that's what you experienced, that your faith in Jesus uh, really grew during as much time with what you were dealing with personally, but really more so with your daughter, Carrie. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and it's like sometimes I still go down for checkups and treatments at the Cleveland Clinic and you can be in a building or in a hallway and you remember right where you were, you know, in those times. And sometimes I feel almost guilty that I'm not as dependent as I was on the Lord. You know, you when things are going well, it's easy to just kind of not depend on the Lord every step of the way. You can say the right things, but Literally during those days and those times, that's how you felt, is that it was not day to day. It was almost moment to moment. When you think back to your life, your career, what brings you the greatest satisfaction? Just my faith in Christ. I mean, that's all that matters. That's the biggest thing, the only thing that's going to last. And and I try to, you know, you can see that, how things that I've accomplished, you know, it's almost you look back and, you know, I'm at the age where a lot of people you know, forgot about what you did in the right. past, folk bleeding, you know, it really is life is a vapor, you know, it's like grandkids, you know, look at you and go, gee, grandpa, you played baseball, really? You know, and, <laughs> and so what's important is the relationships and, and trying to impact things that would last for eternity. Had a lot of great opportunities, met a lot of people, but I wouldn't trade it all for eternity you know, with the Lord and Savior. And and so I try to keep my goal and keep my eyes on eternity. What's interesting and encouraging at the same time is you mentioned you, you, you've you known the late Jim Brown, Bernie Kosar. You know a lot of famous people, but what's encouraging is that you personally know the most important person, and that's Jesus Christ. You know, our Modell hired me, and I was in his booth my first year. I mean, it was unbelievable that I answered the phone during the games and it was just, you know, there were stories with the Monday night crew, Don. None of that means anything other than the relationship with Jesus. My final question, Fred, is as uh, people are listening to this podcast from all over the world, what advice would you give today's college students concerning their studies, pursuing a career, and living for Jesus? Well, first of all, living for Jesus is number one priority and and everything else falls into place. But, you know, as far as professionally, I can't say enough about back in my day, internships were hard to get. A lot of them have them now almost like unpaid 
you know, workers. I got paid for my internship and and it was it was really I still look back is that was the link that opened up the door because it's not who you know, it's having the opportunity and making the most of the opportunity, and that unlocks the doors on who you know, because if you've done a good job and there's decision makers there, like I said, Art Modell's right-hand man, his lawyer, noticed what I was doing and asked me to stay on. And I wrote a couple, you know, free articles, and I didn't know they were going to hire me as a writer. And and that was just making most, doing the best you could do with your opportunities. So if you get an unpaid internship, who knows what it'll lead to in whatever field you want to. I get people all the time. I've been down to Cedarville to speak to students about how do you get into what you're doing. Well, you know, I don't have a journalism degree. I don't have any of those things, but I learned and I made the most of the opportunity. Fred, I I love the time uh, talking with you on today's podcast. I could talk with you a lot more. I know our time is short, but thanks for uh, sharing your heart. Thanks for sharing your journey with the podcast listeners. And thanks for being on this week's Cedarville Stories podcast. Great to be with you. I want to thank you for listening to the Cedarville Stories podcast brought to you by Cedarville University. You are encouraged to share, like, and review this podcast on your favorite podcast provider. And be sure to come back next week when we'll hear another Cedarville story for God's glory.